Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You don't always have to like him. But you have to respect him. The Roy Green Show continues. The Roy Green Show continues on the Chorus Radio Network. Andrew Lawton here in for Roy on the Roy Green Show across the Chorus Radio Network. At least it is now. I mean, my name's Andrew Lawton right now. It's still the Chorus Radio Network now. It's still the Roy Green Show. Who knows what it will be called in five minutes. Apparently, you can't even keep the name of something without it offending someone. Roy Green, well, sorry, Roy, but Green is offensive to, you know, the Danish people who are still a little bit sore about what's happened with Greenland, so that one has to be changed. Andrew Lawton, well, you know, some people are offended by St. Andrew or Prince Andrew, so before you know it, I'll have to change the first name, too. And the Chorus Radio, well, Chorus is offensive to soloists, because they don't like the fact that, you know, sometimes that old pesky chorus is behind them there. Have I covered all the bases here? Have I sufficiently trigger warning you so that you aren't too, too offended by the name of anything on this program? Oh, my goodness. John A. Macdonald, the first prime minister of Canada, the man who really melded the founding provinces of this country together for confederation and who kept the federation together against political opposition at a time when it was done with straws and duct tape because it was so tenuous, it was so precarious. He's now facing a threat from the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario. The Union of Ontario Public Elementary School Teachers, who voted at their annual general meeting last week to, and I'm going to read the exact motion here. They voted to call on the school boards to, quote, examine and rename schools and buildings named after Sir John A. Macdonald in recognition of his central role as the architect of genocide against Indigenous peoples. The impact that this has on the relationship between Indigenous and non-Indigenous students, parents, and educators, and the ways in which his namesake buildings can contribute to an unsafe space to learn and to work. (sighs) That was a very long sentence. And if you heard me on my regular show this week make this joke, I apologize for using it again, but there's a new audience here. I feel I'm more offended by the run-on sentence from a supposed teacher than I am by the actual crux of the motion itself, which is that you have to rename any schools or buildings named after Sir John A. Macdonald because it's offensive and genocide and all of these other things. Okay, so a few things to unpack here. Number one, and this is the first and foremost problem, I don't think the teachers, when push comes to shove, are all that offended by anything John A. McDonald. If they were to be paid their exorbitant salaries and $10 bills with McDonald's face plastered on each and every one of them, you know, all of a sudden, I don't think they have too many problems with John A. McDonald. Secondly, John A. McDonald, as a historic figure, cannot be distilled down to his aboriginal policy. As objectionable, as objectionable as it might be to today's standards and to what we would hope would be the eternal standards of decency and justice. It's not the first time he's faced a smear campaign, but it is one of the most recent and it is one of the most officialized. Now, fortunately, the Premier of Ontario, Kathleen Wynne, with whom I have a great many disagreements, 
has spoken out against this push from the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario. So it doesn't look like it's going to go ahead at this point. But you know what? If ETFO can continue to mount support for this, if other unions decide to join the chorus... Oh, no, I said chorus again. I'm sorry. Apparently that name is you know not allowed anymore. If all of these other groups that have been sounding the alarm about this continue to raise it, this may well be the direction we go. And if you don't believe me, just take a look at the renaming of the Prime Minister's office, formerly known as the Langevin Building, the Langevin Block, named after Sir Hector Louis Langevin, was renamed earlier this year by Justin Trudeau's government to just be the office of the Prime Minister and the Privy Council. So they took this name that is steeped in history of one of Canada's founding fathers, also a former public works minister, and they've now scrapped that from the office that is the seat of government. That would be like renaming the White House just because, oh, well, you know the term white, white privilege, white supremacy, all of these other things. We'll rename it 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. That would be the equivalent. And this came just a couple of months after the Langevin Bridge in Alberta, or the, the Albertans aren't too good with the whole French thing. So in Calgary, they called it the Langevin Bridge. And I remember, because I was guest hosting on our station in Calgary, and I was saying Langevin, you know, trying to show off all my French skills, which are precarious at best. And I was like, oh, you know, the Langevin. And then they're like, it's Langevin, you Easterner. So in any case, they renamed that bridge to Reconciliation Bridge because Hector Louis Langevin was also an early adopter of Aboriginal residential schools. The thing is, though, and I know this is not the line that is going to warm the cockles of everyone's heart, but you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone in Canadian government at the time, either in the later 19th century or the early 20th century, who didn't believe in residential schools. That was a fairly non-controversial policy at the time. Now, that doesn't make it any less wrong. But it was a fairly non-controversial policy, and in some cases, people even believed it was a humane policy. Because they didn't believe that the Aboriginal identity, that the Aboriginal existence was one that could sustain itself or thrive itself. Therefore, you had to westernize them. Now, that wasn't the right move. And we've moved beyond that. And even though there are still living survivors of that era and that chapter in Canada's history, and even though the official policy from the federal government given several years ago won't right all past wrongs, it's a step. The only thing that we can really control is the way we move forward. But I don't think that because of this one facet of Canada's history, flawed Aboriginal policy and Aboriginal residential schools, that we can then taint every single historic leader in Canada because they were a part of that. That would be the same way if we start talking about Antifa again in this context, that if you were to look at any of the anti-fascists in Germany in the 30s and 40s, if they believed something that was undesirable by today's standards, we couldn't get rid of, or we would have to get rid of them, we would have to expunge them from our positive understanding of history, even though they fought fascism, simply because they can't have 100% compliance and don't have 100% compliance with the standards of the modern era. That's a dangerous, dangerous worldview. Because you can't even find anyone today who has 100% compliance with the standards of decency and civility and justice, let alone find someone 100 years ago or 150 years ago when those standards were very markedly different and find that this person matches up with what we need a leader to be today. And this is the big problem with the teacher's approach of getting rid of John A. McDonald's name from schools. First off, they're taking a man whose legacy was overwhelmingly a positive one and distilling him down to something very negative. But more importantly, they are being ignorant 
of the very history that some of them are actually supposed to be teaching students. And they don't seem to understand the history. They don't seem to understand Canada's history. They don't seem to understand the fact that to analyze any history, you need to look through the lens of both the public at present and the lens at what was the public reality in the past. And when you do that with John A. Macdonald, he passes in spades as an overwhelmingly positive figure, as an overwhelmingly positive force in Canada's history. I mentioned his role in Confederation, which is certainly one of the biggest and most notable aspects of it. But the point that I raised in a column that I wrote on this subject yesterday morning for globalnews.ca is that if we're going to start measuring any past leader by today's standards, there are a few other heroes of the left and the right that we must dig up and start trying to reassess and reevaluate. Let's look at Earl Hagg, the former commander of the British Expeditionary Force, whose wartime leadership earned him the nickname Butcher Hagg because of the millions of lives that his policies that his policies actually cost. Even the Canadian War Museum said that his, quote, costly offensives have become nearly synonymous with the carnage and futility of First World War battles. But still, he was a victor. What about Tommy Douglas? This is one of my favorites. The NDP herald Tommy Douglas as being this great hero in Canada, Captain Progressive himself, the man who unleashed universal health care on Canada. CBC heralded him the greatest Canadian in 2004 for that very accomplishment. But Tommy Douglas was also a champion of eugenics. He argued in his university thesis that forced sterilization was the answer for what he termed, quote, anyone who is, quote, anywhere from high-grade moron to mentally defective, unquote. Now, I can think of some high-grade morons when we're talking about the ETFO uh, push for getting rid of John A. McDonald's name, but I'm not sure Tommy Douglas would have thought they were high-grade moron or mentally defective enough to justify eugenics. And I'm not saying I support eugenics either on this area. He also, more recently, when he was actually the leader of the New Democratic Party of Canada, characterized homosexuality as a mental illness and a psychiatric condition. Now, people will say, well, you know, that was just at the time. That was the thing you did. And when he made that comment of calling homosexuality a mental illness, he was actually combating looking at it as a criminal offense. So people would say, well, you know, in actuality, that was the, the, the nice thing to do at the time. That was the progressive view at the time. But that in and of itself proves that times change. And what's right 50 years ago is not what's right today or the perception of. Now, I believe that morality is a constant. I believe that what is right and wrong actually transcends generations. But I think that the perception of what's right and wrong doesn't. The perception of what's right and what's wrong fluctuates. We're now in a period of moral relativism where people try to absolutely reject the idea of absolute morality. But again, Tommy Douglas, the same people, the same teachers union officials who are lining up and saying that, oh, well, John A. Macdonald is this terrible person. He inflicted genocide upon Canada and upon aboriginals. And therefore, and therefore, there's no defense of, oh, but it was normal at the time. These same people, if you were to point to Tommy Douglas's comments, would be the ones that would say in defense of Tommy Douglas, oh, but at the time, what's good for the goose has to be good for the gander. 
Your calls on this when we come back in a couple of moments. My number is 1-800-263-2428. 1-800-263-2428. This is Andrew Lawton in for Roy here on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network.